or for being angry. Don't feel guilty for being angry. You will, but the key is is to understand not to feel guilty about being angry. Then when you do start, then you can stop yourself. The millennial generation is as follows. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. Well, hey there. You found yourself back into the Surrounded by Idiots radio podcast. I am your Dr. Philosophy, Tony Dufresne, your host. Welcome, everybody, back. Uh, Lexi can't make it this week, so it's going to be me, and it might it might work out pretty well this way because this past week, two friends very dear friends that have gone through major losses and their losses have uh, been family members and it's been the first for both of them that I that I think it's been their the first time that they've lost somebody really close to them and they're going through the process of grief and loss and whatnot so I thought it would be a really good show to put out there especially because the people you guys most of you guys that listen to me are in your 20s and your 30s, and you may not have uh, come across a situation to where you've had a major loss in your life and you don't know how or haven't been able to fully understand how the process works in terms of moving forward and going through the grief stages and uh, becoming stronger and better uh, as you move through and uh, continue on with your life. So I thought it'd be great today to talk about how to move on from a big loss. And the components today that I'm going to talk about are the types of loss because just somebody passing away, somebody close to you is not the only loss that you go you're going to go through the grief process where these stages of grief. You're going to go through them in a lot of situations in life. So I thought that we're going to go through the types, different types of losses, the similar characteristics in all of those types of losses. Then I'm going to go through the stages of grief, which there's a five-stage thing that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross created back in the late 60s. There's also a seven-stage thing. Mine is actually six. So I'm going to go through the stages of uh, of grief and then the exercises to help you to recover and to heal. And then in the end, I'm going to talk about situations to where you would be a supporter of somebody who went through a loss and the best way to handle that. So when it comes to different types of losses, there are the there's the obvious one and the one that people always associate the grieving process with, and it's the loss of somebody close to you. It's the death of somebody close to you. But you also go through the grieving process through losses of a relationship or a job or loss of a good friendship or even material loss like a house or a memento that's really close to you or that reminds you of somebody if you happen to lose that or even financial loss, all of these things. And of course, the ones outside of the physical death, those are not as extreme. I'm not saying that they're all the same in regards to the levels of severity, but they all represent a loss. They all represent this thing in your brain where you've lost something. Now, these these are the similar characteristics that they all have in common. They're all a death of something. Now, obviously, the death of a friend or a family member is what it is, but there's also the death of a relationship or the death of a job or the death of a friendship. It's the it's the ending. It's the concrete ending to something, and that has a profound impact on your brain because we're really not geared towards extreme braking or extreme acceleration when it comes to things in our lives. We're, we're not uh, – we – 
tend to like to find a groove and to stick to that groove. And that's why anything that comes up that's shocking actually puts us in levels of shock to where we it's very hard for us to process all of that stuff in, in that moment. So other similar characteristics is all of those things are a nodal event. There's something that happens in your life that creates a an extreme directional shift in a moment of time. Uh, other nodal events in life would be the birth of a child or a graduation or a marriage or something of that nature uh, to where it's something that you know that after that ceremony or after that one particular moment in time, your life will be different, measurably different. And uh, things are going to have to change in regards to how you deal with things. So it's also all of these situations. They're also traumatic. Like I had mentioned earlier, they they have an effect, a physiological effect on the brain in regards to processing things. And then they have an impact on your life moving forward and the way and the way that you cope with things being different. And the fear of the unknown that happens during that time. So now let's talk about the stages of grief. And like I'd previously mentioned, there were five stages from the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And you probably know that. It's the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Uh, But there's also a seven-stage one that's been out for quite some time. I made it six, and this is why I made it six. So the first step is denial. And, And this first stage represents the brain an emotional center's inability to fully process the loss in that instant. Now, denial is a defense mechanism or an instinctual break that's put on the absorption of the information so it doesn't overwhelm your system. And it's been described as time slowing down, which is actually a thing your brain does as a reaction to the information coming in. Have you ever been in a car accident? Actually, that actually happens during a car accident where it seems like time also almost always almost stops in that moment. Other situations could happen to where the words, if somebody's saying something to you or breaking up with you or somebody's telling you that someone passed, the words seem like they're jumbled or hard to understand or almost you have to ask them again what they said. Or it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher when they're trying to tell you something because you're unable to process that big of a shift in your life in that moment. That's a first stage of denial. Then what happens is you go into a pain guilt stage because once the initial shock wears off, you will start to confront the emotional pain of the loss. And at this point, there may also be a sense of guilt over what you did or didn't do or could have done or should have done or should have seen, all in an attempt to gain a sense that you had some level of control over the outcome. Basically, it's your brain's way of rationalizing the circumstances in more concrete terms. But in the process, you put yourself in a place of responsibility for the loss which more than likely is not the case. Now, it may be the case if you're looking at uh, you're, you're screwing off in your job and you got canned. I mean, that, that, that could, that's understandable. Or you're, you were kind of a dick in your relationship or you weren't respectful of the person. And then, yeah, that would be the case. But in, when it comes to traumatic loss, especially when it comes to the death of somebody, this is a place where you don't really want to take yourself, especially for the fact that you don't have any responsibility for the loss unless – you happen to you know you happen to have direct responsibility but most of the time that's not the case and somebody passes but you feel directly responsible for something that you felt as though you could or should have done which hindsight is 2020 but nobody has a crystal ball and but and that's where you start to spiral down into a not a good place this leads to the third step and the third step third stage in the grieving process is anger 
the energy generated from the loss is now bubbling to the surface and will now start to show itself as anger. The power of the energy will overtake your sensible mind and make you hypersensitive, or you'll get pissed at the smallest stuff. Typically, there will be a lot of generated anger where you create circumstances in order to have something to get angry about. You actually create situations to where you can get pissed. Even if somebody says, hey, how you doing? You would actually find a way to process that to get pissed at them for saying it that way. I mean, that's kind of how anger starts to bubble out of you at this point. Uh, There's a good chance you are more angry at yourself at this point than the world or the other person, but it may be too emotionally devastating or too much for you to direct to direct the anger upon yourself at this point. This takes an insane amount of inner strength to be able to handle the directed anger towards you that you might have towards yourself. And a lot of that again goes right back to the the guilt part that that you're that you might be feeling at that point. Uh, and that's why the the energy has to go somewhere. Listen, this thing is like somebody, you know, hitting you with a baseball bat. The, the energy from that baseball bat hit has to go somewhere. It has to be absorbed and it has to be let go of. So we're, so that energy being hit and, and given to you or self-generated within yourself, you have to find a way when it gets to the anger part, you got to find a way to let it go. And that's why anger happens at this point in time. Now, once that starts, then you go into the bargaining stage. Now, the bargaining stage is confusing to a lot of people because they're thinking, well, what do you bargain? Uh, but this is what this is all about. It's where you attempt to negotiate with a higher power or with someone that you feel has some level of control over the situation. Now, for instance, you'll make promises to God or to a significant other that you'll never drink again if your significant other would give you one more chance. So you're trying to negotiate and to, and to sort of put a band-aid on things or sort of fix the situation after the fact. You can also make a promise to God that if he, she makes the pain go away, that you'll never do anything bad again in your whole life. Uh, now, this, now this is a desperate attempt to regain control over the situation by focusing on your hindsight and having a belief that if you could just do what you know now to be right, then things would be great. A lot of times in those situations, the person will let you back into their life. Now, the problem with that is, is that you haven't been, you haven't gone through process of grieving the relationship as it was before, and you'll go back into the same pattern. And most of the time, nothing will change. You really have to go through the entire process of grief, the entire process of healing, the entire process of respecting the death of the relationship as it was at that time. Then you can come back if you want with that person, with both of you guys in a different place, and you can start something fresh. But it has to be fresh, and it has to be on a different foundation than the first one was, or you'll just sink back into the same pattern. Now, in regards to the stages of grief, let's go to the next stage, which is stage five, and that's the depression stage, which is actually not named correctly, but I'll get into that. So this is the point where the loss sinks in. It's at this stage when sad reflection and the realities of how different your life is now will take hold and you will more than likely focus on the aspects you've lost more so than the value of the experience moving forward. Now, this is the point where you may seek isolation, either internally or externally by getting out of town or away from life where at every turn you're reminded of the loss. Now, for the record, At this stage, most people are on a deep and profound level of sadness instead of being depressed, 
which depression, technically speaking, is a more pervasive mood disorder. It's a legit mood disorder. It's not a reaction in this particular thing. So it's really a deep, profound sadness is what most people go through at this point. However, that being said, it certainly doesn't minimize the crushing feelings that occur and should be respected and validated by both you and the few close people you've chosen to steward you through this grief process. I'm going to talk about that as um, as how to, to set up your support group if you happen to be going through something. But you've got to continue to respect the fact that you're going through process, and so do they. But I do want to mention that according to the University of Maryland Medical Center study, if the depression this deep, profound sadness, lasts more than a couple months and continues to interfere with daily life or if feelings turn to thoughts of suicide or hopelessness or worthlessness, then that's a sign of you slipping into a major depression and you should definitely seek professional help immediately at that point. So after a couple months, give or take, if it's at a point where you can't climb out and it's just and it's to the point where it has frozen you in regards to expanding your life or even going back into your normal everyday routine, you, you got to get help and professional help and immediately. Now, this takes us to the last stage of the grieving process, which is acceptance. So this last stage of grief is characterized by signs that you're starting to accept and adjust to your new life order. There's a more pronounced sense of calm and you feel like you're starting to get a handle on your stuff. This is when your mind feels more clear and is able to open up to more aspects of life than that tunnel of grief you've been living in. Almost like you're looking through a toilet paper roll and it's just this focused in on this dark tunnel and you're starting to understand and to see the other things that are happening in your life. This is where your prefrontal cortex, and I'm pointing to the front part of my head, if you take your hand and you put it on your forehead, that's where your prefrontal cortex is. It's the rational thinking part of the brain. This is where that part becomes the main processor of the situation to where you can rationalize the loss and come to terms with it on a cognitive level. You're able now to fully process it with all of the powerful parts of your brain to put it into perspective from a cognitive sense instead of uh, being emotionally overwhelmed. Now, this doesn't mean that you will not continue to get emotional waves of loss or sadness or guilt, which will show up from time to time, especially as you're just going through this process. These waves of emotion uh, will especially occur in weak emotional moments. Uh, that gets it. That gets into uh, when you start drinking, uh, or if you get into a moment where you become surprised by uh, all of a sudden running into your ex at the movies, or if you are cleaning out a closet and all of a sudden you find something of your of the person that you lost and something that meant something to them, and it's all that would be a weak emotional moment where you really aren't ready for it. Uh, and those things will come up, but the best part about going through process the right way, going through all your stages, is that when you get to this point, you've already strengthened your prefrontal cortex, you've already strengthened your cognitive muscle to help you pull yourself out of that emotional spin downward, and it'll keep you from doing that. Well, you may go down it a little bit or for 10 or 20 minutes or an hour or something, but it's not going to spin you out of control where you are back to square one. Now, all of those stages being said, I want to make a, a strong point here. These stages are not linear. 
which means that it's not like you go through one and then you're done and then you go through the next one and then you're done and you go through. It's not like that at all. It, that's not the way our mind works. As much as people love to to think that the world is binary or just black and white or goes one, two, three, four, five, it, it is not the case. And especially with our complex brain emotional system, and it all depends upon a lot of factors, especially upon how emotionally strong you are up to the point where all of this loss happened. Also, it has a lot to do with how enmeshed you were with the person or the job or the house, how enmeshed you were emotionally with the with this other person. If you were really enmeshed, which means super duper connected to where almost, let's say from a significant other standpoint, you you guys felt like you were the same person. It's almost, you know, I do the whole hula hoop thing where you cross over the hula hoops and there's that space in the middle that looks like a diamond where it overlaps and that's that's an overlap. That's where you guys have common ground. But if you take the hula hoops and you completely cover each one of them up, it looks like one hula hoop. Well, that's what happens to a lot of people. They become enmeshed in the other person and almost to the point where they feel as though they are the other person. If you lose somebody like that, that is devastating to the point of you losing yourself. And from an emotional standpoint, from an ego standpoint, uh, that puts you in a very fragile position. And uh, in those instances, this process will take some time. Uh, and this process may go, you may you may jump around quite a bit in these stages but every single time that you do, if you continue to realize you're in those stages, uh, then you and respect the fact that you have to go through them, then you will be able to sooner or later gain enough ground or gain enough traction uh, with your prefrontal cortex in order to get out of it. So those are the stages. Now I'd like to talk about the things that you can do this particular period of time when you're going through a grieving process. Don't resist. Don't resist any aspects of this grieving process because you've got to go through this. It's a, it's an absolute dumpster fire a lot of times when you're going through a grieving process and you may be acting completely unlike yourself, but instead of getting feeling guilty about that or feeling as though you shouldn't be like that, allow yourself to go through process because everybody's different. And even I've seen guys that come off as being very stoic or very emotionally secure and absolutely losing their shit uh, through a loss. And that happens a lot, especially from guys that put on this charade of being emotionally stable, yet they're more emotionally fragile than most people. You've got to not resist the flow in regards to the things that come up. Don't pick up the hammer. This is this goes back to the guilt part. Don't pick up the hammer and smash yourself on the head for feeling bad or for being emotional or for feeling guilty or for being angry. Don't feel guilty for being angry. You will, but the key is is to understand not to feel guilty about being angry. Then when you do start, then you can stop yourself. And that's the key. And that's using the prefrontal. That's using your cognitive system, your strong cognitive thinking brain in order to stabilize you during this process. Another important thing to do at this point is to request the right kind of help. There's going to be a lot of people around and I'm thinking about my very good friend who just lost her sister and uh, her sister was 
an amazing, amazing force in the world. And there's so many people. I mean, she's touched so many people and, you know, hundreds. And there's so many people around uh, my friend that are trying to help her, trying to console her, trying to do what they uh, from the goodness of their own heart. But they're but it's not coming across the right way or it's really not what she needs now. And it's important for people in situations like that, even if it's a loss of a relationship or any of the things that, that we had talked about earlier. It's about surrounding yourself with people that understand how to how to support you. And it's it's a little tricky because a lot of people don't know how to support somebody who's going through a deep grieving process. The key to finding somebody is it's got to be somebody that is a stronger listener than they are a talker and they're supportive of your emotional battle. They're supportive of the process. They're supportive of you know all the mess that happens during this process. They are not there to problem solve. They're not there to reinforce the fact that what you're going through will end and uh, you'll be better off, something of that nature. That's not what you need during, especially during the very beginning of this. What is needed is you and your presence and your energy as a stabilizing force, as an indirect stabilizing force, not somebody that's going to sit there and dictate to the person logically the situation that's happening. Because anybody going through this grief process, this loss, is not logical. It's not a logical thing. It's an emotional thing. And in, if you want to tackle that from a logical standpoint, you're going to create more shit for the person. You're going to, you're going to put them in a worse spiral than they are. If you throw all that stuff out there as well intentioned as you may be, it's going to create more problems. So don't do that. You've got to allow yourself time because really that is the way the brain works. It, it needs time to process. Emotionally, it needs time to formulate ideas and thoughts and to get a grip around the new realities of your world without whatever it is that you had lost. Uh, And then uh, you can move forward from there, but you've got to give yourself the right amount of time and make sure and be very, very careful, very careful of negative behavior patterns that that will come up from ego needs during this very, very vulnerable and weak time in your life. This is the the thing that comes to mind, obviously, is the rebound in a relationship or the going out and screwing around uh, to feel uh, that somebody wants you during this period of time. It's destructive and uh, overall, it will end up making you feel shittier about things. Be careful of negative behavior pattern. This also has to do with self-medicating for your coping mechanism, which means drinking or shooting up or taking whatever it is that you want to take to zone yourself out to self-medicate. These are negative behavior patterns because, you know, as much as you escape in that moment, first of all, if you start drinking a lot, it's it's a depressive anyway, and you end up feeling shittier about things. But it's a way for you to escape in a moment. But the thing is, is that you you can't escape the process and you're just putting off the inevitable. 
so it puts you in a terrible situation to where you're going to have to constantly and consistently self-medicate in order just to keep yourself away from the process of healing. And that doesn't work because ultimately you're going to have to do something with that energy and process it through. So many people have this feeling. And the reason why this happens a lot is because a lot of people subconsciously feel as though emotional death is physical death. And they correlate that from a, at a subconscious level. So they feel as though if they face their fears or if they face this huge thing that happened, it's so devastating. It has so much energy that it will engulf them or it will kill them. Uh, that's the way your ego feels. And it's, of course, that's not the case, but that's why so many people use self-medication as a way to stay away from having to confront those really strong feelings. Obviously, be careful of those negative behavioral patterns that might come up because of ego needs at that time. And that's what your support group is there for. They're the ones that should keep you in check and to keep you from doing stupid shit. You've got to respect the loss by respecting yourself. There was a real powerful thing that my friend texted me over a couple days ago as she's going through process right now about losing her sister. And it was something to the effect of her sister is giving her um, the strength and she's she's staying focused because that's what she thinks her sister would want her to do is to stay strong in this. That doesn't diminish the process but what it does is it helps to ground you in a very tenuous situation to where it helps. Now I'd like to go through some exercises for recovery and healing. The first thing is to surround yourself with at least one supporter that can do what you need them to do, like we had talked about earlier. Those are the people that are active listeners. They're supportive of your emotional strain. They're supportive of you going through process. They're not trying to solve problems. They're not trying to give you a level of logical perspective. They're just there to be there. So you can cry on their shoulder. So you can talk about nonsense. That's why they need to be there. Take some time away to disengage from all of the physical representations is another thing. It's a lot of people think that you're running away from situations, but that's actually not the case. Sometimes if you're in process, being around all of those physical representations of the person or of the job or whatever the case is way too, it's just still too much to process outside of just the fact, the emotional fact that the person is not there anymore if you're talking about that type of a loss. So it is good to take some time away. Um, a lot of people like to go off on their own. I Personally, it's not suggested that that's the case. It would probably be better for you to go off with somebody who can be there to support you and also to be there to uh, make sure that you don't go off and do some stupid stuff in terms of the negative behavior patterns to satisfy your ego needs. Another amazingly powerful tool that actually I have all of my clients do in any aspect of life is journaling. And especially during a loss, there are so many emotions, there are so many feelings, there are, and so many of them will run through your mind and run through your mind. If you give them an outlet in order to to be written down. And most of the time in a grieving situation, it's utter nonsense in terms of what you write down. And it's not supposed to be cohesive thought. It's just supposed to be really word vomit to get it out. And a lot of times what happens is during the process of journaling, you actually start to 
gain a sense of understanding. It actually helps you to get through process to the point of, of acceptance, of bringing in your prefrontal cortex and starting to rationalize some things about it. Uh, it's not going to create an automatic solve your problem situation, but it will definitely help in your healing process. If you're a person that likes to do mindful meditation or relaxation techniques, that is huge as well. Uh, You can bring in your physical aspects in terms of breathing techniques in order to help you to create a baseline, a more calm sense. There's another thing, you know, people always say focus on your work. I, I keep thinking sleepless in Seattle. The guy gives him the business card for the psychologist and he's, and he throws out about 12 different cards that people have given him because they're trying to help him out. But he said, uh, you know, go to work or do more work or put your mind in work or put your life into your work is the thing to get you over the situation. It doesn't get you over the situation, but what it can do in terms of finding something constructive to focus on, what it can do is it can heighten levels of of self-esteem or create levels of accomplishment to where it will strengthen your inner core your inner, your inner emotional core to help you through this process. And it also takes your mind off of ruminating, ruminating being constantly going over and over and over and over and over stuff. If you're in a guilt phase or if you're in an anger phase, uh, it keeps you from doing that to where it'll help you process through the whole thing. The one thing you have to stay away from when you do put your mind into your work or you try to divert your attention is to completely divert your attention to the point where you're not confronting process or going through your process because that's just a diversion. It's almost like self-medication and that will just delay the inevitable. And actually it'll come out to where if you do, if let's say if you go just crazy in work, it'll turn out to where your work will start to suffer because that's not the avenue that's going to be able to complete your process. It can be a tool, but it's not the end all just to focus on that. Now, lastly, I want to talk about if you find yourself in a supportive role, if somebody else close to you has gone through a huge loss and you find yourself in that role to where you can be that one, two or three people around that person uh, where you can support them the right way. And I touched on this a few times uh, earlier on, but I want to go through this list for you. Now, do not try to make things better. It's not about you making things better. Guys do this all the time, too. We're naturally wired to solve problems. And it's so hard and it's so counterintuitive for guys to not do that. But when it comes down to a loss, don't try to solve the problem. Don't try to fix things. That's not your role as the supporter for somebody who's gone through a big loss. Respect the process that the person is going through. Do not rush them through these stages. Everybody has different ways they will go through the stages. Some will jump back and forth. Some will take more time in one. Some will take more time in the other. There's no formula for this that that works with everybody. As, as that super supporter, you have to understand that and also support them in the fact that they're going through this. But also be there to when, if they do feel as though they're sliding back into maybe denial and they were almost at acceptance that you're the one saying, Hey, listen, this is not a linear thing and this is going to happen. You're the one who can reground them in situations like that, but don't reground them in terms of, of 
lecturing to them or giving them a lesson, you regra- you reground them through their own dialogue. If they happen to say something, you can support through that. Listen and reflect. Listen and reflect. Listen. And, this is active listening. You're listening not not to respond. You're listening to absorb. You're listening to fully understand where they're coming from. They could be coming from and they could be spewing out the most irrational stuff on the planet. Uh, but it's not about you responding. It's about you listening. Now, if they do come out and say, let's let's say it's a, the, somebody's gone through a painful breakup and and uh, your friend is saying, oh, I'm the ugliest person in the world. No wonder why this person. I mean, that's that's insane and it's ridiculous. And they know that's not the case and they're really looking for a response out of you. And that way you can reground them through that. But if they're talking about, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm gonna, the last thing in the world you want to say is you will because this is just temporary and you'll and and there's more fish in the sea or they're in a better place. Oh, I fucking hate that, you know, because I've been through a number of uh, losses, uh, physical death losses uh, in my family and my life. And somebody saying, oh, they're in a better place. I know you mean well by saying that, but don't say that because I'm not ready to hear that. I, they they probably are more than likely, but that's not the point of anything. The point is to be a supporter in, of me and where I'm at. Make sure you don't pressure the person that they should be further along in the process that they are. I've, I'm kind of overlapping, but that's an important consideration. If you see them almost accepting or if you see them going out and having more fun, but then they regress back into something, the last thing in the world that you should do is to say, hey, I thought you were doing better or come on, you were just out a couple days ago. That's not going to help them out at all because a lot of times you will regress back and forth because, again, it's not a linear thing. Most people don't get it. Most people don't think in dimensional terms. They think linearly. That's why it, it takes a special person to support somebody going through this process. And uh, uh, you definitely, listening to this and listening to the shows, have the capacity to do that. Like I said, do not express that the person's better off in any way. Yeah, it pro- it's probably true, but that's not the point. And last but not least, if they minimize things as a coping mechanism, so if, they, if they're going through a loss and all of a sudden they have this thing where they say, you know, it really doesn't matter. Or this shouldn't matter. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal. I mean, you know, break up or whatever the case. If they come out and say, and you know it's a big deal, and of course it's a big deal, but if they came out and say, you know, you're right. Yeah, yeah or, or yeah, not, not that big of a deal. Right? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, do not reinforce that. The best thing to do in that particular situation is to just reground them back into being and back into going through the process. The grieving process is okay, and it's not a bad thing. And the bottom line is that if you're going through this, respect yourself and go through process. It's not going to be a linear step-by-step. If you're supporting somebody going through this, understand that your support involves your physical presence and your emotional grounding. And that's it. You're not there to problem solve. So I hope this helps. If you have any questions or comments, let me know. If you've gone through something like this and you have other suggestions that have helped, please let me know. It's always good to get everybody's opinion if you know that something that has been successful. So I hope things are well. Remember, you can go to javabud.com to the website to find all of the videos and uh, the two years of podcasts and blogs and the whatnot. 
And also, if you want to hit me up, you can ask me questions or I do have my online coaching and you can uh, get a hold of me and do it. I have a three session thing, standard thing that I do with people and it's about learning stuff, knowing it and living it. The Surrounded by Idiots book is going to be out in a few months and that really is my program uh, along with some other fun stuff, most of the stuff that we talk about on the show. And uh, that is it. I hope you have a great week. Talk to you soon. Thank you.